Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, Hood Classics, Good Classics, me, my wife, she's sick. She's not really sick. She uh, got a shot, uh, the vaccine for COVID, and that puts niggas under in our house, except for me and my son and my daughters and my other son. Really, it only puts my wife under. It puts her down hard, though. So she's got the chills. And so I'm going to read to her uh, just so then she uh, can fall asleep and have her mind off of being sick for one night. Um, but yeah, 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. What's happening? Chapter 12. Six weeks later, so <clears throat> they had her get the cochlear implant and they had uh, Messiah get with Niche and they had the funeral and they had uh, Ethic tell Alani that, you know, if if. I, if I keep looking at you, I'm going to want to tongue you down like you're a fucking lollipop or some dumb shit. And now we're just going to skip to six weeks later, which is really fucking lazy. But it's also how this book or how this writer gets down. So at least, you know, she's giving us warning. It's not just we got to figure out it was six weeks later. Anyhow, Morgan didn't know why she was so anxious. This was the moment she had waited for her entire life. No, it wasn't. She didn't want this until she thought Messiah didn't want her. And again, communication would save a lot of things in all these books. That's the one connecting factor in all of the uh, urban fiction novels that I've read is that there's no communication. It's like they follow a game plan. Shit's annoying. She sat down at the exam table inside Dr. Hamdy's private office and her chest heaved up and down. You nervous? Bella signed. Morgan nodded. Everything's going to be fine. The hard part is over. This is the final step, Ethic signed to her. Can you hear me yet? Easy shouted. Morgan laughed as she read his lips. Not yet, Easy, she signed. Dr. Hamdy entered the room and Morgan's heart beat rapidly. What if it didn't work, she thought. Her hopes were high, and she knew she would be devastated if this didn't end how she anticipated. Today's the day, Dr. Hammity said, as he signed simultaneously. She nodded as he examined the incisions behind her ears. 
Morgan had been in the mirror almost daily, monitoring the cuts and putting different creams on them to minimize the scarring. They were practically invisible. You've healed beautifully, Dr. Hammity signed. Are you ready to turn on the implants? He asked. Morgan smiled, her nerves visible as she shook her foot rapidly, trying to shake out some of the energy. The doctor pulled a rolling stool in front of her and opened a laptop in his lap as he powered on the control that activated the tiny device that now lived in her head. You may have some swelling. We may have to adjust the strength of the implant a couple times before we get it right. I'm going to run some tests to make sure all the impedances are firing correctly. Impedances? Yeah, impedances. I thought an impediment was something bad, but impedance. Okay, I'm going to run some tests to make sure all the impedances are firing correctly so we can get some stimulation in the ear canals. I'll turn it up slowly as we talk, and you let me know when you can hear. It may seem very loud because you've never been able to hear anything before. It will take some getting used to. You'll probably feel the vibrations of sound before you hear anything. Okay? Morgan was reading his lips now because his hands were busy typing code into his laptop. She nodded her confirmation. She was more ready than she would ever be. Now, Ezra here thought it was important for the first voice you hear to be someone special. So, we aren't going to say anything. I'm going to play something for you, and when you hear it, you let me know. Morgan sat still, waiting on pins and needles, as the doctor began turning up the frequency on the implants. Can she hear yet? Easy asked in excitement. Shh, Ethic coached. Not yet, big man. It's coming, though. You'll know when she hears it. Morgan frowned as she waited. She couldn't hear anything, but there was a vibrating in her ears that made them feel like they were itching. She stuck her fingers in them. It probably feels odd to her. This is a normal reaction, Dr. Hamdy said aloud. Morgan winced as a high-frequency ring hurt her ears. Does it hurt? The doctor asked. Morgan was still focused on reading his lips, so he knew she couldn't hear yet. She nodded. I'm going to lower the frequency and come back up again. Morgan nodded. She was already feeling defeated. Her disappointment was written all over her. The doctor handed her a pair of headphones. Press play and try it now. Morgan sighed, ready to give up, but she did as she was told. When the deep baritone voice began to play in her ears, tears came to her eyes. Let me tell you something, young blood. There's nothing like the love a man feels for his children. Raven and Morgan are the greatest gifts a man could possess. Raven knows it. She knows she's a jewel, but Morgan, my baby girl, doesn't know it. She was born differently, and she doesn't realize it's the rocks with the most flaws that turn into the finest diamonds. Is that true? I don't know. I feel like that should be something I research right now. That ain't true. Morgan's heart stopped as her hands began to tremble. She was hearing her father's voice for the first time. It was something she had never dreamed she would ever get to experience. He had died long ago, when she was just a young girl, and here she was as a grown woman hearing him whisper affirmations in her ear. A laugh escaped her as she smiled and heavy drops of emotion fell out of her eyes. She covered her mouth in shock as she closed her eyes. I'll protect my girls till my dying day. 
I've never loved anyone like I love them, and I don't entrust them with just anyone. Just the fact that I gave you the responsibility of taking them with you to protect for the night means you're family. There are niggas I've known for 20 years that I wouldn't put in the same vicinity as my girls. That's not a good thing, homie. They are my everything. Justine is the sun and Raven is the moon. That Morgan. Baby girl is my youngest. She's my whole damn universe. I'll move heaven and earth for them. Thank you for what you did today. Why is she crying, daddy? Can she hear? Easy asked impatiently. Ethic nodded. She can hear. He had saved the voicemail from almost 10 years ago. He knew that after Benny Atkins' death, one day his daughters would need to hear how much he loved them. It had come in handy, just when Morgan needed those words the most. Morgan was in a state of disbelief as she removed the headphones and rushed into Ethic's arms. She was so overwhelmed, so happy, so lucky, and she couldn't stop the joy from spilling from her. She had been motivated to do this because she wanted to feel normal. She wanted a boy to like her, but this was so much bigger than that. She had gotten to know a piece of her father just by hearing his voice, and it had touched her soul. You'll come in for checkups every month for the next six months or so, but this is a lifetime change. Do you want to try to speak? Dr. Hamdy asked. Morgan shook her head. It was her greatest fear opening her mouth and revealing what her looks never did, her handicap. She had done it as a kid and had experienced a humiliation that had stuck with her all these years. She had taken years of therapy, speech, and phonetics to teach her to mimic the lips and tongue movements of hearing people. She had memorized them all, but she never spoke in front of other people again. She was afraid of her own voice. I've spoken to your therapist, Morgan. You've mastered phonetics. They think you have the efficiency of a naturally hearing individual. You just have to trust yourself, Dr. Hamity urged. There's no pressure. When you're ready, you'll use your voice. Medically, there's no reason why you're unable to. Morgan nodded as the doctor stood to his feet. He shook hands with Ethic before exiting the room. Morgan was silent the entire ride home as she soaked up the things around her. She never knew so many things made noise. Everything had its own sound. Even the wheels rotating on the pavement was noticeable. It was amazing. It was like she had walked through her entire life half-living without the soundtrack that accompanied it. She had a slight headache from the different sensations she was feeling inside of her ears. It was all so loud, and Easy was on ten in the back seat. His racket she enjoyed, however. His sound matched his vibe. Morgan? Do you want to know what a fart sounds like? Easy asked. Ooh, what about a motorcycle? Or, or daddy snoring? Morgan smiled as the entire car burst into laughter. He was being a typical boy. Gross, silly, and mannish. Big man, let Mo chill, okay? Ethic said. Ethic was used to the amount of racket Easy made, but he didn't want it to overwhelm Morgan. She was used to processing only four senses. She would have to adjust. Daddy, chill. She wanted to hear. Let her hear. It doesn't have to be such a big event, Bella said with a slight attitude. Ethic turned and looked at her, sitting in the back seat, mouth in a pout, and arms crossed over her chest. Watch your tone, Bella. We operate with respect for each other. 
every member of this house. It's been a long day for everyone, Ethic said as he pulled into his estate. He was beginning to think the surprise celebration dinner he had planned wasn't such a good idea. He allowed Morgan to climb the steps first as he and the kids trailed behind her. When she opened the door, she jumped and startled as she heard, Surprise! It literally felt like an explosion sounded off in her ears as Lily, Nish, Messiah, and even Dolce still waiting for her. So, the nanny, her frenemy, ethics X, and the guy who literally is dating her frenemy are the ones you invite to the party. Get to know your kids, ladies and gentlemen. They can reveal important things for you. Her hand shot to her ears as she winced in pain. It was too much, too soon, and Ethic rushed to her side. Baby girl, what hurts, he asked as he cupped her face as he watched her squeeze her eyes shut. Morgan took a moment to breathe as a silence fell over the room. Everyone stood, worried, gawking, as Morgan slowly opened her eyes. You good? Ethic asked. She nodded. I just had to get used to it. Did she talk or did she sign that? Now you're really not to indicate whether she's signing or talking. Ethic turned to the small group. Let's keep the volume down. Her ears are sensitive to loud noises and she isn't comfortable speaking yet. So we're just taking this whole thing slow, alright? He said. Her eyes fell on Messiah and then over to Nish who came rushing up to her. Oh my God, congrats girl. I can't believe you didn't tell me. I know you've been distant, but when Ethic called, I had to come. You're my best friend, Mo. I had to be here for this, Nish said. Morgan was grateful when Lily announced the chef had set the table and it was time to eat. As Morgan walked by Messiah, she could feel his eyes on her. She couldn't look at him. She was certain Ethic had invited him. But the sight of him with Nish made her stomach turn. He wore his lokes and cornrows to the back. So here's the thing. I know L-O-C-S is locks because dreadlocks. I know. I know. But in my mind, I'm from California, fam. So Crips be like, what up, Loke? And that's L-O-C because Loco is L-O-C-O. And then sunglasses that they will wear were called Lokes, and those are L-O-C's. And Tone Loke was L-O-C. So before I knew about dreadlocks, I knew about Tone Loke. And so whenever I see locks spelled L-O-C, I immediately think Loke. And I'm working on it. But it's a thing. Like even my son's hair, I'm like, yo, you're not supposed to call them dreads anymore. You know, they're, they're locks. But if I was to read it out, it would be Lokes. I'm not ashamed of that. Just how I grew up. He wore his locks and cornrows to the back, and he was dressed in hood-rich attire, a Gucci sweatsuit with fresh J's. She didn't acknowledge him. She was so angry that if she did, she was sure she would cry. She just wanted to go to bed. She was emotionally exhausted, and she couldn't sit through an entire dinner with Nish sitting next to Messiah. She wasn't too proud to admit she was jealous, and she wouldn't give herself an opportunity to show it. She walked into the dining room and stood next to the table. Thank you, everyone, for coming, but I'm in a little bit of pain and I really just want to get some sleep. I'm sorry. May I be excused? She looked at Ethic, who nodded. She instantly 
fled to her room. She didn't have the energy to handle this tonight. She couldn't put on a poker face and bear through it. She had been through too much and she just wanted to retreat to the privacy of her room. Her head was spinning and she didn't have the emotional moxie to pretend like seeing Messiah with Nietzsche didn't bother her. Poor thing, Dolce said. Thank you for inviting me. I've known Morgan since she was 11. I'm glad I could be here for this. I'm sorry how we left things, Dolce stated. Yeah, me too, Ethic answered. I thought you deserved to be here. Mo likes you, and you've been in her life for a while now, so... And what about you? Do you like me, Ethic? Dolce asked. Ethic rubbed the top of his head with both hands, feeling the waves under his fingertips. He didn't know how to answer that. Honesty was his policy. But with Dolce, she preferred the lies. The only time she blew up at him was when he was truthful about his inability to give her the affection she wanted from him. You like what I do for you, she said, whispering over his shoulder as she nibbled on his earlobe. He pushed her away, gently. My kids are here, Dolce. Chill. You know I don't do public displays, he said. Then let's do a private display, Dolce said. I promise I won't get attached this time. I miss you, and I have an itch that only you're long enough to scratch. She slipped her house key into his pocket and then walked out. You're taking me home? Nisha asked as she noticed Messiah pull onto her street. I thought you needed me to cook up. Messiah was tired of playing this game. Initially, he had planned to fuck with Nisha because once he laid claim to her, he knew Morgan would be off limits, but she wasn't his type. When it came down to it, he couldn't seal the deal because he knew what it would do to Morgan. Instead, he taught Nietzsche how to prepare his cocaine and how to turn salt into hard, stretching one kilo into two. She was cool, and they smoked weed together, mostly. He would feed her after a long night of watching her flip bricks in the kitchen of the trap house, but he couldn't take it there with her. The attraction just wasn't mutual, and while he knew she was trying to bop her thotty ass right onto his dick, he always kept it strictly professional despite her constant fronting on her social media pages. Messiah had checked her more than a few times about taking pictures of him without his knowledge, or while in his car, or posted in front of his Kawasaki. It was all a stunt to make her feel big in a small city. He wasn't with the games, and he was growing bored of her company. After seeing Morgan and watching her react to the noise that filled the room, all he wanted to do was talk to her. He couldn't while in ethics presence, but he hoped to get the opportunity soon. Nah, not tonight, Messiah said. He pulled up in front of her house and popped the locks, letting her know it was time to exit. He knew and waited until she was inside her house before he pulled away. He found himself back at ethics, sitting curbside, as he burned a blunt while contemplating calling Morgan. He was playing a dangerous game. Ethic had the power to shut down his entire operation, and he knew firsthand what lengths Ethic was willing to go to, to protect Morgan. Messiah wasn't trying to jeopardize his relationship with Ethic, and he meant no disrespect, but the pull Morgan had on him was undeniable. Messiah, come outside, I'm up the block. Morgan, no. Her response caught him off guard, but he didn't blame her. Morgan was not only spoiled, but justified in the way she felt about him. He had handled her poorly, and he knew she wasn't going to make it easy to get back in her good graces. Messiah, you coming out or I'm coming in that motherfucker. Which one is going to be? 
Messiah knew Morgan wouldn't want to cause a scene. He didn't even know what he was doing there. He was far removed from sneaking around to see a chick. It wasn't his style. He was in his mid-twenties and had left that high school shit behind a long time ago. Doesn't seem like it. Anything immature turned him off, which is how he knew he had a thing for Morgan. She was just discovering the world, just getting her feet wet. At 18, she was green, but the way she looked at him made him feel kingly. Her silence was mystical. She was like a beautiful bird that you had to be careful not to frighten, because if you got too close, it will fly away. That's why he had admired from a distance. But when niggas around the city began to shoot their shot, he began to feel territorial. He began to shoot his shot, as in bullets, because he would body any nigga that stepped to her incorrectly. His protection was no longer out of obligation to ethic, but out of infatuation for her. He wanted what he couldn't have, and it bothered him to his core, because Messiah was a man who could have whatever he liked with whomever he liked, except her. He waited for her response, but it never came. Within minutes, he saw her walking down the driveway and towards his car. Her hands were tucked in a Michigan State hoodie, and she wore short, cotton shorts that were barely visible. All he saw was legs as she walked towards his car, flip-flops slapping on the concrete ground and a scowl on her pretty face. Her long braids were pulled up in a bun on top of her head. She opened the passenger door and climbed inside, but didn't look his way. He studied her. Her body language was tense and full of mistrust. She was freshly showered and filled his car with the scent of flower bomb body wash. Shorty doo-wop, he said, his baritone deep, as he peered through his low lids. Morgan was in sensual resentment. He could feel her animosity. She even leaned towards the door. She wanted as much space between them as she could get. She normally smiled when he greeted her in that way. But tonight, she was giving out fuck you vibes, and he took them because he deserved them. Mo, he tried again. So, I've been fucking with the sign language a little bit. She turned to look at him and stuck up her middle finger. He chuckled. Yeah, I know that one real good, he said. She smiled, only lifting one corner of her mouth. She smiles. God must want a nigga to sleep good tonight. He blessed me with that visual. What do you want? She signed, her hands flying fast in frustration. You gotta slow that shit down for me, Mo. My teacher is YouTube. Do it again, he said. She signed again, and she was surprised when he answered. I just wanted to see you and make sure you were okay. She was astounded that he had taken the time to learn. She was sure he wasn't fluent, but the effort was nice. You can hear me. That's dope, Mo. I'm happy for you, he continued. He was rough with women. He rarely catered to their feelings, so he didn't know how to do this caring thing. All he had known them to be good for was pleasure. He didn't have a mother's love to shape the way he viewed women. All he knew was desertion, so he never let himself get close enough to care. If his mother had left him, all women eventually would too. To avoid reliving that feeling of inadequacy and the string of abandonment, he never let a woman get close. When he felt Morgan shocking the dead body inside of his chest, trying to power on his heart, he did the most hurtful thing he could do to make her lose interest. He knew he had fucked up by allowing Nietzsche to put out the perception that they were more than what they were. 
He could feel the shift in his connection with Morgan. He hadn't anticipated how much he would miss it. She didn't look at him the same. Her gaze was no longer given in adoration, but in contempt. He had witnessed her disappointment in him, first at the hibachi spot and again tonight. He couldn't have that. Like Ricky, he had some explaining to do. So, why won't you speak, he asked. Morgan looked down at her hands and twirled the rings on her fingers around. You're afraid of what you might sound like, Messiah guessed. Well, I gotta say, if you sound fucked up, it's only fair. God gotta give you some type of flaw. You probably got a big manly voice, no Beyonce bass sounding ass voice. Whoa. I know ain't nobody from the Beehive read this book. I mean, her voice ain't that deep. She'd be like, let me hear you say, hey, Miss Carter. Let me hear you say, hey, Miss Carter. Oh, okay, okay. But that was, a, she was like digging for that one, you know. And I'm going to learn her songs, like some of them, for this concert. I can't wait to take Nisha. It's going to be great. She smiled, and he wondered where this lighthearted side of himself had come from. He wasn't the wisecracking type, but he would do anything to break this ice with Morgan. Baby girl got me on freeze, he thought. Okay, so guys, I just want to put this out there real quick. If you're calling your girl baby girl, you're too old for him. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not guessing. This is not a question in my mind. If you're calling your girlfriend baby girl, you're too old for him. That's all. There she goes, Messiah admired. Morgan really was a sight to behold, and he didn't mind bigging her up because he knew underneath the fake confidence was a girl with insecurities. It's just me and you in the car, so let's talk. I'll start. He lifted her chin with his finger, forcing her to look him in the eyes. I'm not fucking your homegirl, Mo, he said, frankly. He needed her to know, and despite her eye roll, he continued. I wouldn't lie to you, Mo. Only bang with her own business. The rest of the shit she puts out there is false. Morgan's shoulders seemed to relax as her eyes watered. You hurt my feelings, she signed. I hurt your feelings, he repeated, deciphering the sign slowly. I apologize. I was on some asshole shit trying to push you away. Why, she signed. Out of loyalty to ethic? Out of respect? When I heard you were trying to restore your hearing, it just fucked with me. It fucked me up that I couldn't be there, and I have a feeling you decided to have this surgery because you felt like you were competing with Niche, Messiah said. Am I wrong? Morgan looked away. She couldn't admit that. She wasn't just competing with Niche. She was competing with girls like Niche. Normal girls. There's no comparison, Mo. Real shit. Some women just don't have to compete. He didn't have to say all this, but okay. Women out there with fake hair, fake nails, fake contacts, fake asses, drawn on eyebrows and shit, squeezing into them shits to make them look skinny, trying to hit angles for cell phone cameras to make them look thick. Just dumb shit. All for likes. All for attention. You know what you got to do for that? He said. Just breathe. 
It's that simple for you. The way your chest rises and falls when you're nervous, like now, is the sexiest shit I've ever seen. Like, really? Really? I, I was listening to Addicted today while I was at work because I fucking read it. Um, and I have to say that while I fucking hate the cartel, Addicted might be the worst book that I've read besides Horson because it's horribly written and there's a lot of fuck shit in it. And one of the things that they said in that book was um, after she literally like gaslit and, and goaded her boyfriend into having sex with her. They stripped down naked and put their hands on each other's naked chest to feel their heartbeat sync up. And she was like, it was the most erotic thing I've ever felt. And I was like, is it though? Like, is that supposed to be erotic? Like I could see it being something that's like beautiful, but not erotic, but that's just me. Like the way your chest rises and falls when you're nervous. Shouldn't be the sexiest shit you've ever seen. Stop looking at her titties like that, dude. You just called her baby girl. Look her in the eyes. Her eyes are up here. The other girls compete, Mo. You just exist. See, and that's the other thing, old ass men. Like, y'all spitting game at these little kids. 18 is a little kid. I don't care what you say. 18 is still really fucking stupid. My daughter, when she was 18, thought that Nicki Minaj was the greatest not rapper, greatest singer in the history of music. Better than Aretha Franklin. Better than Whitney Houston. Better than Diana Ross. Uh, better than Gladys Knight. Better than all of them. Singing, not rapping, singing. Couldn't tell her shit. She was 18. Fucking stupid. Love her to pieces. But I told her that's the dumbest shit I've heard all day long. And I work with five-year-olds playing basketball at that point in time. I hear a lot of dumb shit. Like, coach, if I fart while they're dribbling past me, do you think they'll pass out and then I can get a steal? Is that good defense? Watch. <coughs> dumb shit. Hopefully it wasn't really dumb shit. I don't know if he shit on himself. It stank, though. But still, she was asking questions like that, and I was like, no, we used to debate on it. She didn't want to hear nothing about it. You cannot tell her nothing. <sighs> so, you're not smart talking to these little ass kids talking to 18 year olds you're not you're not pulling anybody it's not game you're 25 you've done more you're still a, a young person yourself but they're even younger and you're taking advantage that's like me a 43 year old talking to a 24 year old there's really nothing I can say that wouldn't just wow them with wisdom. And you see all these old ass men with these young ladies who are talking about, I just like, I have an old soul and I just like him. No, it's nasty. It's nasty. And once again, I know some of y'all's daddies married your mama when they were young, or I know your mama married your daddy when they were young and he was old or whatever it may be. And it was a May, December relationship. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. It's still gross. Just because it happened to your family don't make it no better. It's still gross, my nigga. Messiah signed because he knew he might be coming off wrong. Like he was trying to game his way back into her favor. But he was speaking all facts. Listen, Mo. You can't be out here wilding, letting niggas push up on you, touch on you, dance on you. Because when I see that, my mind only go to one place. Even if that bitch-ass nigga didn't violate you that night, I was murking him anyway. Why the fuck? Well, you did tell her that you were going to murk him. 
That's how crazy I am over you, Mo. And you're not even mine. I only know one way to be, and that's all the way in or all the way out. And I never felt like this over any other woman. I don't even give this much conversation to these hoes. Really? Messiah was high, so the candidness of his words were unfiltered, raw, but Mo was listening. This was a heavy discussion for a girl who had just learned to hear mere hours ago. I don't do the cuffing thing. I don't know how this is supposed to go, but I know how it is between us now it don't work for me. I fuck with you, Mo. You fuck with everybody, she signed. That big head bitch Shayna claiming you. Niche claiming you. Ten hoes behind them are claiming you. You for everybody, Messiah. Her hands were going, and he couldn't keep up. It looks like you saying some bullshit, he said with a smirk. So I'm going to say goodnight. Morgan shook her head, unable to contain the giddiness she felt. As she smiled, she cleared her throat and anxiously whispered, <clears throat> Good night, Messiah. It was raspy, and her S's sounded more like Z's, but she had heard her own voice, and the tears that came to her eyes were proud ones. She looked at him for validation, her eyes full of worry as she waited for him to say something. You're going to fuck me up every time with the way you say my name, he complimented as he placed a hand over his heart. Good night, shorty doo-wop. She popped open her door and walked back into the house. For her, Messiah waited until she was safely inside before pulling off into the night. I like Morgan's story. Like, not the whole being pursued by an old-ass man or anything. I just like her story. I wish the rest of the book was written like that. And I wonder if Ashley has somebody in her family who are a friend who is of the deaf culture who wanted cochlear implants. Like I'm wondering if there's a thing in the back of the book to discuss that further. I'm actually interested in that. I'm not interested in anything else in this book. That's sad. Chapter 13. Ethic was a lonely man, haunted by ghosts, unable to shake his past enough to move forward with anything new. Dolce was a woman who thought she could change that, heal him, and that was her number one mistake. A woman couldn't change a man. He had to change himself. For the right woman, he would. Dolce wasn't that woman. To be fair, to be fair, I've been watching a lot of Letter Kenny. Like, I know this is evergreen. I don't care. For those of y'all who are out there listening who watch Letter Kenny, you already know, and I hope y'all sang along. So, again, to be fair, Raven was a hard act to follow. He didn't know why he was sitting outside her house, contemplating using the key she had given him. He knew he was playing with fire. Dolce had put in too much effort, too much time over the years just to walk away without expecting something in return. Ethic just didn't feel the soul-stirring pull he had felt with Raven. Not for Dolce, at least. Still, he was a man, full of frustration, and he needed to release it. Instead of going home where he belonged, Ethic opened the door to his range and took long strides towards her front door. He used the key, letting himself in, and as soon as he opened the door... Dolce stood there, wearing a sheer, floor-length robe, six-inch heels, and nothing underneath. No one could ever deny that Dolce was beautiful. She was exotic. Ooh, that means she's mixed. She was half Hispanic, half white, and just remarkably pretty. You know, I was thinking about it. Because black folks, you know, we're the baseline for 
every beautiful thing that happens in the world. So black is beautiful by itself. But then when you mix black with other races, you still get beautiful because black is there. So black and white is beautiful and black and Filipino is beautiful and black and Italian and black and Hmong and uh, whatever. But I've never seen black and Mexican mixed. Which is weird because we all live in the same fucking neighborhoods. But I've never seen that affiliation before. I thought about that earlier today. She was half Hispanic, half white, and just remarkably pretty. Her light skin, long hair, and dangerous curves would be the only prerequisites for another man to make her his wife. But Ethic was different. Ethic wanted his wife to be a sister. Black, mixed with blacker, full of sweet juice and scented like shea butter. Then why? Watching this show called New Amsterdam where this black guy is uh, in the beginning of it. He's dating and fucking with. He's a doctor. He's a surgeon. And he's fucking with another doctor that he works with who's a white woman. Like he's fucking with her heart. And she's like, yo, we should talk about moving in together. And she, he's like, I can't. She's like, why not? And he's like, actually, I need to break it off because you ain't black. And she's like, and I'm like, y'all been fucking for way too long to do that cut off. Like, obviously, you like a little bit of cream in your coffee. So you need to figure that out. But okay, you should have told Dolce a long time ago. Look, I'm looking for a black woman and you obviously ain't it. Now, I'm going to tell you that so you can go off and find somebody else. He wanted the woman he ended up with to be able to relate to his experience, to know what it was like to have strength and resilience, not because it was learned, but because it was inherited from generations of black people who had to be strong before her. He wanted nappy hair and intelligence. He wanted... Jesus Christ. He wanted a woman that could make a feast out of a bag of beans and a neck bone if he fell in hard times and it was all he could afford. A woman who could raise his children if his karma came and took him away prematurely. She didn't have to come with much. In fact, she could have nothing. If her soul was pure and her heart linked to his own, he had enough to share with the right one. Dolce wasn't that woman. She was too pampered, too spoiled, and not cut from the same cloth as he was. They were compatible sexually, but in all other areas, they were opposite. Still, he was a man, and she had been sitting on his dick for years. So, I don't, you know, I only want black women, but I'm going to keep fucking you for years, physically and mentally. As she approached him and rubbed the front of his Ferragamo slacks, he reacted to her. His dick had a mind of its own, and she aroused him, making it stand like a snake charmer. No strings, Ma, he said as he looked her in the eyes. No strings, Poppy. Lo promito, she said, promising. Ethic needed to fuck. He was a man who prided himself on discipline, but the burdens he had on him didn't allow him to turn her down. He slid a finger down her slit and sucked in air, shocked at how ready she was. She was dripping, and although he was tempted, he wanted to make sure they understood one another. He brought his hand under her chin in a U, gripping her face with enough pressure to command her movements. Look at me, he said. She lifted her eyes to meet his. If you're looking for love, I need to walk out right now. I don't have a heart to give you. This is just sex. 
Dolce tried to kiss him and he pulled back. He didn't kiss. Not her. Ethic had only put his lips to two women in his life. Not even Bella's mom had felt his lips on her. Really? Wow. I'm not going back to read the story, but still. Okay. Raven Atkins and Desire Morgan were the ones he had tasted from head to toe. Dolce wouldn't be the third. It'll be Alani. Kissing was intimate. Personal. That wasn't what this was about. He knew a stipulation was cold, but he was cold. He was frozen in a place where only hurt could exist. Hurt people hurt people, and he had warned Dolce of that. She was hard-headed. She wanted to accept what little he gave her. Dick and fancy gifts with no emotions attached. I can't kiss your lips, so let me kiss this, she whispered as she lowered to her knees. She unbuttoned the expensive pants and then rolled them down his waist as he stepped out of them. He removed his shirt as she enclosed her mouth around him. He gripped her hair tightly as she sucked him into her mouth using just the right pressure. Ethic's body was there in the moment as she stood and pulled into her bedroom, but his mind was a million miles away. You know, I'm not proud of it, but every so often while I'm having sex or something like that, my mind just drifts. And I really wonder if that's normal. But my mind will drift to something else, like a song or something funny that I heard or something like that. And it's not like the sex isn't good. It's like so good that I'm literally fighting to stay focused on the sensations that are happening. But my mind just drifts. And then I lose the connection that I have to the lovemaking. And I have to start over. And it makes me sad. Because I know that it's not my wife's fault. I know it's it's me. It's my mind. It just flits all over the place. But it's the wrong time for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure you don't know. You might. I don't fucking know. He didn't know how he had gotten to this point. When he navigated through the streets, he had always lived by a code. Now, he questioned if he had any type of morality at all. He was going through the motions as he rolled a condom over his strength and watched as she climbed on top. Her rolls were slow and timid as she tried to inch down on him, taking him in with caution. The veins in his dick teased her walls as she found her rhythm. He had so much aggression, so much madness built up in his veins, and he felt it mounting as he matched her, trying to get her to ride him deeper. She was squealing with every pump. Her perfect silicone D's bouncing while sweat trailed down her toned stomach. He lifted her. He was so strong that it was effortless for him to turn her around without ever taking himself out. He didn't want to see her face or look her in the eyes because she was pleading with him. Dolce's expression was begging him to give her a chance. She wanted more. He knew it and he couldn't look her in the eyes. She rode him backwards, her behind spreading. The sight of his blackness disappearing into her pretty toned ass made a prickling current pulse in the top of his dick. He was about to come, and from the screens bouncing off the walls and the way her pussy smacked with wetness, told him that she was there too. He filled the condom as she climbed down off the ride, flipping her bedroom hair over her shoulder. God, I missed you, she said with a smile. Dolce watched Ethic walk into her adjoining bathroom. Every muscle in his body was well maintained, from his thighs to his abs to his strong arms. He was just a perfect mixture of strength and lean. If I could just get him to slip up one time, she thought, as she watched him flush the condom carrying his seeds down the toilet. 
He showered, and she went to gather his clothes from where they lay strewn in her living room. In all the years she had known him, he had never stayed the night, so she placed his clothes out on the bed as she shrugged into a robe. She went to the bathroom and closed the lid on her toilet, staring at him through the shower door. It was a shame how damaged this man was. Why can't things be different between us? More. Ethic closed his eyes and lowered his head under the water. This was why he had to draw a line with her. Women confused sex with love. It was like when he entered her, his dick beelined straight to her heart. For him, it was simple to separate the physical from the emotional. He pulled back the shower curtain and stepped out, wrapping a towel around his waist. If I could give you what you wanted, I would. I can't be that for anyone. It ain't in me, Ethic said. He saw her disappointment and he kissed her cheek to lessen the blow. He dressed quickly in silence. There was nothing else he could say. Nothing she could say. He was leaving. It was what it was. and love, it was not. She walked into the door with tears in her eyes. When Ethic turned back to say goodbye, she couldn't help but to plead her case. Why won't you just try? You can learn to be happy with me, she said, her eyes shining sincerely. Ethic knew that time wasn't what they needed. It had been ten years of casual sex. Jesus Christ, it had been ten years of casual sex, but he didn't want to be cruel by pointing that out. The fact that he had come to her home and transferred his energy without intention of staying suddenly made him feel guilty. She wouldn't cut him off. He knew that. He had to be the one to show some restraint. We used to have fun, at least, Dolce reasoned. Now it's like I'm only good for one thing. I'm just asking you to give us a chance. Ethic felt tension at the nape of his neck. It's not my intention to mishandle you. There's a diner not too far from here. You hungry? We could talk about this over food. Oh, they're about to run into a line. You would have thought Ethic was offering a five-star meal, the way Dolce's face lit up. What he wanted hadn't changed but he surmised that he didn't have to be so cold towards her. He didn't mean to take advantage of her feelings. The least he could do was consider her a friend. He would figure out how to tell her that over a meal. Maybe then, his leaving wouldn't feel so abrupt. Dolce dressed, quickly, and then hopped into his truck, smiling ear to ear. The diner was empty. It was past midnight, and Alani sat on the bar stool with three giant books in front of her as she took notes in a journal. She had gone back to school to pursue writing and filled her days with classes while waitressing filled her nights. She wasn't sleeping anyway, so she found it best when she didn't give herself time to think. Staying busy was the only way for her to stay alive. If she sat still for even a moment, she was sure to slit her wrists. She was so backed up with emotion and grief that she felt like death would be better than living without her child. Exactly 46 days had passed since the funerals, and Alani just couldn't crawl out of the funk she was in. Her shift was almost over, and she couldn't wait to get home, where she could soak her tired bones in a warm bath. It would be a long night of studying for her. She had a test the next day that she couldn't miss. The bell above the door rang, and she groaned and closed her book. Somebody always want to walk in 10 minutes before I clock out, she thought. She knew she wouldn't be able to leave now, until the table was cleared. She went to the bin where the silverware and menus were stored, grabbed two place settings, and made her way to the table. Hi, my name is Lanika. I'll be your server this evening, she said. 
She smiled at the gorgeous woman who was facing her and handed her a menu. When she turned to face the man the woman was with, Alani froze. She hesitated, and her falter caused him to look up from his phone. Hi, she whispered. Ethic made her wait for a greeting. As he took her in, he noted the uniform in her sunken, sad eyes. She had dropped at least 20 pounds. You work here? he asked. You know her? Dolce cut in. Ethic ignored Dolce as he stared at Alani, who shifted uncomfortably. Yeah, for about two weeks now, she responded. I'll give you guys a little time with the menu. She tried to rush off, only for Dolce to stop her. Um, could you at least take our drink orders? Dolce asked. Alani turned. Oh, yeah, of course. What can I get you? I'll take seltzer with lemon on the side, Dolce ordered. We only have regular water. No seltzer, Alani said. What about bottled water? Does this dump have that? Dolce asked. Two regular waters are fine, Ethic said. Thank you. Alani rushed off to fix the drinks. Fix what drinks? It's, it's just two regular waters. Out of all the diners in the entire city, Ethic had waltzed into hers. She had thought of him so many times over the past few weeks that it was borderline obsessive. The hugs he gave out were like magic. It was the only thing that made her feel like she could breathe after her daughter had died. She wished he could bottle them up and sell them because she would be his number one customer. She peered discreetly at the couple in the booth by the door and turned up her nose in contempt. She ain't even that pretty, she thought. She knew she was hating. Dolce was beyond pretty. She was gorgeous and exactly the type of woman she would expect Ethic to have. She didn't know why it angered her to see him with the light, bright beauty queen. He ain't your man. Let that nigga live, she told herself. Still, she was green with envy. Niggas always want to get them a little foreign piece when they get some paper. Her thoughts were fueling a fire in her chest. Alani rolled her eyes as Dolce moved from her side of the table to be closer to Ethic. She filled the drinks and carried them over to the table, setting them down. She felt Ethic's eyes on her but she avoided looking at him. Clearly, he was out of her league, and even if he was fair game, she was in no shape to be thinking about a man. Y'all ready to order? She asked. I'll just have the grilled chicken salad, Dolce said. I'm good, Ethic whispered. You're not eating? Dolce asked. She bent her brow and then looked between Ethic and Alani. How have you been? Ethic asked, again ignoring Dolce. And who's Lanika? He asked as he rubbed his goatee and nodded towards her name tag. It's, it's my middle name, she said. Only my family and close friends call me Alani. And me, Ethic said. She smirked. You don't call me much of anything, though. I'm just a customer, remember? Lanika will suit you just fine. Alani looked at Dolce before turning to walk away. Your salad will be right out. We'll take it to go, Ethic announced. To go, Dolce protested. I thought we were eating, talking. What happened to that? It's late. I should get home. Checking on Mo and the kids, Ethic stated. It took all the 10 minutes for Alani to bring out Dolce's food, and Ethic didn't miss her attitude. He paid the bill, leaving a generous tip on the table, and then walked out, guiding Dolce by the small of her back. Alani had never been so jealous of a back in her life. As soon as she saw Ethic's range pull out of the parking lot, she hurriedly cleaned off his table so she could clock out. 
Suddenly, a glass of red wine was calling her name. Alani had one more table come in last minute, and by the time they left, she was drained. She threw her books in her tote and waved goodbye to the cooks as she walked out into the cool night air. She stopped mid-step when she saw Ethic standing in front of his car, leaning against the hood. He was alone, and she found a bit of relief in that fact, even though he owed her no explanations. Come here. It came out like a command, like a king who was perched on the throne, giving orders to a peasant. He didn't mean to be bossy, but he was a boss. She could see it in the way he carried himself and the way others carried him. Alani was a stubborn girl, however, and no one told her when to move or how to move. He had just flashed his little fancy girlfriend in her face, and yes, the little description was necessary because Alani was being petty, something she was good at. It's late. I'm going home, she said. She turned towards her car and unlocked the doors before climbing inside. When she turned over the ignition, it didn't start. Please not tonight. I got a point to prove and you don't want to start right now with this fine ass nigga watch my every move? Great, she groaned as she attempted to restart her car. It chugged a little bit, but it didn't start. She gripped the top of her steering wheel with both hands and then let her head fall onto her knuckles as she tried to control the sobs that were threatening to spill out of her. Why life was this hard? She didn't know, but Alani was ready to throw on the towel. Before, she had a reason to be this exhausted, a reason to go so hard. She used to have a little person depending on her. But doing all this, appreciating the struggle, dealing with the exhaustion and waiting for the glow up, wasn't so worth it when she was doing it all for herself. She felt Ethic's presence, but refused to lift her head. He opened the door and then rested his hands on top of her car as he leaned down. He reached for the latch to pop her hood and then rolled up his sleeves, disappearing behind a lifted hood. Your engine's done, he announced. He walked to her back door and opened it to grab the belongings he had seen her carrying, then reached out his hand for her. She didn't take it. Instead, she wiped her tears and stood. She took her tote from his grasp and started walking. It wasn't that far of a walk. She could make the ten blocks for her house. Alani! Her feet stopped moving. It was like they were playing red light, green light, and the nigga had suddenly switched the signal to stop. Alani froze. She didn't even want to, but she heard the impatience in his voice. I don't usually have to repeat myself, Ethic said. Alani placed a hand on her hip and was across the parking lot in a flash. Oh, little Miss Seltzerwater must be super obedient, she snapped. Who is she? Your little girlfriend? Ethic smirked. I'm a little all for the girlfriend thing. Ethic showed teeth this time, finding her amusing. You're a piece of work, she said, pointing a finger as she turned to start her walk. When she thought of something else to say, she spun around, marching back over to him. She was pissy he hadn't moved, as if he had expected her to double back. And I told you not to call me Alani, she fussed. Is she the reason you didn't call, she asked. She's not the reason I do anything, Ethic responded. She doesn't belong to me. You're lying, Alani said. That big head-ass girl was looking at me like she was ready to slap me for even speaking to you. Why does it bother you, seeing me with her? Ethic asked. Why'd you double back here after you dropped your girl off? Alani shot back. You don't owe me any explanations, and yet here you are. 
Here I am, Ethic confirmed, as he stepped towards her, invading her space. He wrapped his arms around her, and she melted into him. He felt like home, and she clung to him, as if he might disappear if she let go. Can I take you home? He asked. That's all it takes, huh? So when my wife is in a mood, all I got to do is walk over and uh, give her a hug? I'm scared. So scared. Like, you don't just step into a black widow's web because you think that you can just hug your way out of getting bit? Like, what? She was really mad at him, and he just gave her a hug, and she just melted. Like, first of all, nigga, she didn't say you could hug her. Like, stay the fuck back. But I'm going to try it. I'm going to let y'all know how it turns out. Pray for me. She sniffed and wiped her face before lifting her eyes to meet his. She nodded, and then he led her to his truck. They were silent as they drove through the city. When he pulled up in front of her house, Alani didn't move right away. You probably think I'm crazy, she scoffed. That's the furthest thought from my mind when I think of you, he said. What do you think, she asked. I think the universe is cruel, he said, seriously. I'll have one of my guys take care of your car in the morning. They'll drop it off to you when it's done. Alani opened the door and climbed out the truck. Thanks for the ride, Ethic. Ethic stepped out as well. What are you doing? She asked with a frown. Walking you to your door, he answered. What type of men have you been giving your time to, Lanika? None like you, she said as her eyes hooded in appreciation. You can call me Alani. I like the way it sounds when you say it. Like you've known me for a long time. I thought that was reserved for close friends and family, Ethic said, throwing her words back at her. Exactly, she said. Friends call each other. Now, you don't have an excuse to not reach out. She smiled, and Ethic remained stoic because he knew he wouldn't call. He couldn't. He found her wildly intriguing, but to actively pursue her will be dirty. When she noticed how serious she remained... The corners of her mouth fell flat as her eyes squinted in curiosity. Is he blowing me off? He comes all the way back to the diner, but he can't call, she thought. The moment was turning awkward as embarrassment filled her. Thanks, again, she mumbled before rushing inside. She watched from the living room window as he made his way back to the truck. When he was gone, she went directly to the kitchen where she knew Nanny had left a plate for her. She removed the aluminum foil from the plate popped it in the microwave, and then brewed a cup of coffee. She sat down with her books, her food, her coffee, and her tears, preparing to battle another sleepless night. Alani. Alani lifted her head from the kitchen table where she had fallen asleep to hear Nanny calling her from the front door. She rushed to the front of the house. What? What's wrong? She responded in panic as she joined her side and looked from her aunt to the white man standing on the other side of the front screen door. Are you Alani Lanika Hill? The man asked. Yeah, who are you? She shot back. I'm Frank Williamson. I need to sign here for the delivery of your vehicle, he said. Oh, Nanny, it's just my car. A friend had it towed. It died on me last night. I thought I was going to have to pick it up from the shop, though, she said, signing the clipboard the man was holding up for. No, ma'am. He paid extra for us to deliver it to this address, he said. She stepped out onto the porch. Where is it? she asked. The man pulled a Mercedes key file from his pocket and handed it to her. Alani looked at the man like he was crazy, and then at the key in her hand. This is a mistake, she said. 
No mistake, ma'am. Mr. Okafor gave us very specific instructions. Have a nice day, the man said. First the man fixed your car for free, and now he done bought you a new one, Nanny said. It's going to take way more than a pie to thank him for this one. You better give that boy some pussy. <laughs> Nanny, Alani exclaimed before bursting into laughter. Nanny began chuckling herself. I'm not that old, she said. The least you can do is cook the man a meal. Or I could just give him back the entire car, Alani said. She rushed into the house and dressed quickly, putting on jeans and off the shoulder button-up blouse and strappy heels. She pulled her thick, curly hair up into a top knot, taking a toothbrush for her baby hair to lay it down. She went to the curb, admiring the E-Class Mercedes. It was beautiful, but there was no way she could accept this. Last night, he acted like he didn't even want to call me. Now this? Ethic was impossible to read. She hopped into the car and drove to a shop. When she walked through the door, Redneck Larry's eyes widened. I need to see Ethic. Now, she demanded. Boss man isn't here, Larry replied. Well, get him on the phone, please, because I'm not leaving until I see him, she said. She sat down in one of the chairs and crossed her arms impatiently as Larry made the call. The old white man wanted no problems with Alani. He had gotten all her black girl attitude before, and it was too much for him to handle. He would let the owner deal with her. Alani waited impatiently because she had a test to take. It had already been an hour. If she waited much longer, she wouldn't make it to the class on time. She stood. Do you know how much longer he'll be? She asked. He didn't say, ma'am. I can try him again, Larry offered. Can I just have his contact info? I have somewhere I have to be, but I really need to speak with him, she said. I can't give out that information, ma'am, Larry replied. He's insane. He's buying me cars and I don't even have his phone number, she thought. Alani sighed. Fine, she said. She placed the key to the Mercedes on the countertop. Can you let him know that I left his car key here? She checked her phone. She had 40 minutes to get to class, but it was only a mile and a half away. She had already missed the bus, and if she waited for the next one, she would be late. She stormed out and started her walk up the block. If she knew she'd be walking, she wouldn't have worn heels. Her feet throbbed along the way as she second-guessed returning the car. Her phone rang, and she pulled it out of her tote to see a number she didn't recognize. Where are you? She recognized the voice instantly. She smiled as she thought, he called. Never mind that he didn't sound pleased, and that he hadn't even bothered to greet her with hello. She now had his number in her possession to reach out to him when she wanted I'm headed downtown. I have a class at UNM in 30 minutes. I couldn't wait all day for you. The key to the car is in the shop. I'm not for sale, and I don't want to feel like I'm pressured to throw you some pussy just because you bought it for me. I'd rather just not take it, she said. She heard Ethic's hard sigh. She was making him angry. The thought of her walking perturbed him. Where are you exactly? Ethic asked, his tone cross. North Saginaw and Pearson, she said, calling out the intersection she was passing. Stay ass right there, Ethic stated. He hung up on her, and she looked at the phone in shock. Who does he think he is, she thought. Sure, his bossiness was kind of sexy, but Alani didn't take kindly to men telling her what to do, especially a man who wasn't even her man. 
She kept walking, but it wasn't long before she saw his black truck drive up, cutting her off as he pulled recklessly in front of her. She folded her arms as he rolled down the pasture window. Get in the car. That was an order. There was no nicety about it. No thanks, she said, and she walked around the front of his Range Rover and kept it pushing down the block. She hated men like him, who threw money at her problems to try to impress her. It was arrogant. Extravagant gifts were usually given by inadequate men. There was always an exchange of dignity when men used money to gain favorable women. She would one day be in a position where he expected her to return the favor, and Alani didn't want to get caught in that trick bag. She didn't want to put miles on her pussy just to pay him back for something she didn't ask for in the first place. She would rather just say no and walk away. She heard Ethic's door close, and she turned as he stepped out of the truck. Her heart raced as she took him in. He wore casual black slacks, perfectly tailored, a black button-down shirt, cognac-colored loafers with red bottom soles, and a camel trench coat that he left open revealing a Burberry checker print inside. The two diamond chains he wore around his neck were tasteful, not gaudy, as the sun danced in each stone, while he walked towards her with conviction. His expression was stern, as if he were trying his hardest to keep his cool. Everything he had on his body was worth more than Alani had in her bank account, but she could tell he wasn't being flashy. This was his everyday lifestyle. Even when she had caught him at the trucking center and repair shop he owned, he was dressed in impeccable taste, getting designer clothes greasy and dirty like it didn't take the average person months to afford shit like that. Ethic just existed on a different level than others around him, and not because he was trying to impress, but because certain men just live certain ways. Where was he going, and why did he look so damn good? Ethic held out his hands. You're that stubborn where you can't accept a ride? He asked. He was filled with irritation, impatience, and a bit of intrigue as he stood in front of her, staring down at her. He wasn't used to people defying him. My feet work just fine, she said. Ethic held out his hand for her to proceed. You want to walk? Let's walk, she said. You're going to walk me all the way downtown, she said doubtfully. If that's what it takes, he said. He looked down at her feet. Or you can rest your feet in the car and let me take you. It'll be much more convenient for us both. Alani rolled her eyes as she shifted in her heels. Her feet were on fire. As stubborn as she wanted to be, she knew she'd be nursing blisters as she strolled the rest of the way. Fine, she said as she headed towards the truck. He walked her to the pasture side and opened the door for her. Stubborn ass, he whispered with a smirk as she passed him. All this because you don't want me walking, Alani said. All this because you got a hard head. This is Flint. This same block just got lit up two days ago, Ethic replied. Buckle up. He got in the car and headed towards the local college. I'll take you to class and pick you back up to take you back to the shop to grab the car. You're keeping it. It's not up for discussion. It's a Benz, Ethic. I can't accept that. I don't know what kind of woman would accept that from a man she just met. It's out of my price range. I can't pay you back for that, so even if it's a loan, I can't accept it. It's not a loan. It's a gift. I saw a need. I filled it. Alani scoffed. Listen, I got a leaky roof, blood-stained floors, 
a light bill is past due, a furnace needs replacing, and $20 worth of food in my freezer that I have to make stretches so the next time I get paid, and you want me to drive a $60,000 car? Where am I supposed to park it? In the middle of my hood? I guarantee it'll be on four bricks by tomorrow morning. Based on the type of woman I saw you with last night, I know these are the type of gifts you're used to buying, but it's not required to get to know me. I can handle my own. If I need a car, I'll buy it myself when I can afford it. Until then, the bus works just fine. I've been taking it all my life and not a hair is out of place. I'm anything but high maintenance. They arrived at Alani School. You don't have to fix my life ethic. I just really enjoy when you're in it. It's about the only thing I enjoy these days. What time are you out? He asked. Alani smiled and shook her head. I said all that and you're just not going to acknowledge it? We're no longer discussing that. Now that I know what else you need, I'll work on that for you too. Your car is safe in your neighborhood. Word already touched down that you're protected, he said. Protected? Who the hell is this man, she thought, as she wondered how he had the power to make that type of call. Now what time do you want me to pick you up, he asked. Four o'clock, she responded. She got out the truck and looked back at him. You sure you want to do this? What's that? He asked. Whatever this is you're doing? You don't do the girlfriend thing, so what is this? I I just don't understand this level of generosity. We're not having sex. You barely know me, but you want to do all this nice stuff for me. What are we calling it? You need a definition for it? Ethic asked. It would be nice to just know, she responded, genuinely confused. Let's call it friendship, Ethic replied. She smiled, and to a surprise, it reached her eyes, brightening them briefly before they went dark again. Okay, but just so you know, I'm the type of friend that'll slap hoes for trying to be your friend too. I'm jealous, and I'm selfish, Ethic. Ethic laughed aloud, something he rarely did, something that only his past loves, Raven and Yaya, had made him do before. Noted. Ethic drove away, headed to Bella's school. It was where he had been on his way to when he had gotten the call from Redneck Larry. He hadn't meant to drop everything for Alani. She was making the car a much bigger deal than what it was. 60000 was nothing for him, just a drop in a bucket of money. When he had purchased it with cash, he had told himself he owed her. He had taken something from her that no amount of charity could replace. She didn't know that he was trying to ease his guilt, and he liked to think that that was his only motive. But every time he was in her presence, he just felt healed. Alani made him feel like a whole man, like she had the power to glue his fragmented heart back together. When he left her, the hurt reverted all over again. And as he pulled away from the college campus, he felt her energy fade from the car. The greater the distance between them, the less he felt her. This is a dangerous game he was playing, being this close to two murders he had committed. He had had to tread lightly. His freedom and his future depended on it. Ethic arrived at the school and stepped out of the car, his determined strides filled with anxiety as he headed directly to the front office. As soon as he stepped inside, he saw Bella, sitting slouched in the chair, her arms folded across her school uniform. Hey, baby girl, what's going on? he asked. Mr. Okafor, welcome. He turned towards the voice to see the principal standing behind the countertop. I'd like to speak with you and Bella in my office. 
He felt blindsided as he looked to his daughter, searching her face for answers. She wouldn't look him in the eyes, but she hopped up from her seat and followed the principal into her office. Mr. Okafor, we've been having some issues with Bella lately. Her grades have declined drastically this semester. She's failing almost every class. This is odd for her because, as you know, she's had straight A's until now. I've spoken to her teachers, and they're all very concerned. You see, Bella's scoring in the 99th percentile on all standardized tests, so she knows the material. But she isn't turning in any assignments. Oh, that is so annoying. Oh, my goodness. I dealt with the time where the kid, one of the kids in my family, would do all the homework and then just wouldn't turn it in. So annoying. Depression. Depression, anxiety, emotion will make you do strange things. And until it's addressed, it's only going to get worse. She's also disrespectful in class, talking a lot while my staff is trying to teach. And today, we caught her and a group of girls skipping out of first period. They were behind the bleachers on the football field when they should have been in class. She's in the sixth grade. She'll be going to middle school next year. It's important we iron this out before then, the principal said. The choices you make, Bella, are starting to become more important. You're a smart, young woman, and I just want to help you work out whatever's bothering you. Is there anything going on at home? Any changes we should know about here at school? I mean, honestly, she seemed to get mad after the attention focused on... Maybe she's mad because Morgan got the cochlear implants and she feels like she's no longer got a special bond with her like everybody can hear and communicate with her now i can see that i mean i really never thought about how cochlear implant surgery would affect other people in the family but i could see that being a thing i guess ethic waited for bella to respond he had no idea she was falling behind in school so he needed answers too bella provided none he saw so much anger as she sat there, refusing to look at him, refusing to speak at all. Ethic sighed and looked at the principal. I'll speak to her and address the issue. It's important to me that she stays focused. You'll see an immediate change in her effort and attitude, Ethic said, turning his attention to Bella. Right? Yes, sir, she whispered. It was in these moments that Ethic wished there was a woman in their lives to help him navigate through parenthood. He could reign over businesses, run illegal enterprises with some of the most dangerous people in the world, and run the streets of Flint with ease, but raising children alone was his greatest challenge of all. Morgan was still giving him a run for his money, and she was grown now. It seemed Bella's time for rebellion had come, and he wasn't prepared for it. Easy was the only one cutting up some slack. Ethic turned back to the principal. I'm going to sign her out for the rest of the day. She'll be back in class tomorrow, he informed. The woman went to her desk and pulled out a flyer to hand to Ethic. I don't normally do this, but I realize you're a single father. Bella's a young girl and she's in a transitioning stage of her life. There's a debutante ball at my church. It's for young ladies in the community. You don't have to be a member. I think it would be good for her to participate. It's sort of a ceremony to celebrate her growth and maturation. The first meeting is in a few weeks. He took the flyer and nodded. She'll be there, he said. Thanks for your time. He stood and escorted Bella out of school. 
He was angry, confused, but most of all concerned. They didn't break the silence until they were inside of his truck. What's going on, baby girl? Nothing is going on, Bella snapped. Ethic grit his teeth as he looked out of his window. He couldn't even put his truck in drive because his heart was wrenched inside of his chest. Bella, I'll start turning in my homework, okay? It's not a big deal. It's not like you care anyway. You're too busy worrying about Mo to even notice me, Bella mumbled. And there it was, the true root of the problem. Bella was jealous at the time he put in a Morgan. He knew he had overcompensated with Morgan over the years, but he never thought how it would affect his own children. Bella was his firstborn, his baby girl. He had tried hard to make Morgan feel the same love that he organically produced for Bella. Perhaps he hadn't poured into them as equally as he had intended. Bella, just because I love Mo doesn't mean I love you less. You're my daughter, blood-born, the first person who taught me what forever felt like. You and I have a bond that no one can ever break. I love you each, equally, and I know I've given Mo a lot of attention because she was deaf, and because she lost her parents, and we all lost Raven. I'm sorry, baby girl, if I dropped the ball somewhere. But while I was loving her extra, it was only to make her feel like she got as much as you. You know that I love you, right? She asked. Yes, she whispered. It's just, it's always about her, and I love Mo too. It's just sometimes I want it to be about me. Ethic could see the hurt in her, and it tugged to him the hard way. What? What does that mean? It tugged to him the hard way. Okay. She didn't even know that everything he did was about her, for her. I'll do better, he promised. But I need you to do better in school. If you have a problem, you come to me. I'm your father. You can always talk to me about how you feel. Even if you think I'll be upset, you come to me. About anything, Bella. She nodded. Ethic held out his hand. Cell phone, he said. She sighed as she reached down into her Gucci backpack and held it out for him. He slipped it inside the inner pocket of his trench coat. You'll get it back when you make up all the homework you've been skipping. She blew out a breath of frustration and stared out the window. Are you upset with me? Or are you upset with yourself for making bad decisions? I've always told you that your voice matters. If you feel a type of way, say it. Let it out because when you hold it in, you act out in other ways and it leads to consequences like this. Now, how about we spend the rest of the day together, you and me? We'll go to Ocean Prime, and then we'll hit the bookstore, so you can start playing catch-up on your work without easy bugging you. Okay, she agreed. Ethic pulled away from the school, knowing he wouldn't make it back to pick Alani up on time. He liked to be a man of his word, but he couldn't keep two promises. If he had to choose, Bella trumped all. He pulled out his phone and sent the text to Messiah, hoping his young bull could pick up the slack. Wow. That's not going to turn out well. But then again, Messiah didn't see Alani. So maybe it'll be all good. Why the fuck does she want to meet here? Morgan whispered as she pulled up the Burston Fieldhouse and noticed the parking lot to the recreation center was jam-packed. She didn't even know why she'd agreed to meet Niche. She wasn't feeling her lately, but after receiving that long apology text from her best friend, she had decided to at least hear Niche out. She had barely spoken to her at her surprise dinner the other night, and Morgan knew she would eventually have to clear the air between them. 
They had known each other too long to let a man come between them. Right? That's what good friends promise to never do. Let Dick divide what had taken years to build. Morgan was feeling Messiah, but she hadn't heard from him since his pop-up a few nights ago. Ethic was standing in their way, placing restrictions on who she could and couldn't see. And she knew it was unlikely the Messiah would defy that. A crush wasn't worth losing a lifelong friend, so she tucked her pride and forced herself out of the car. She made sure to turn the location on her phone off. She about to get jumped or kidnapped or something. It's about to be bad. She made sure to turn the location on her phone off so Ethic wouldn't see that she was within the city limits. Burston was a popular spot for pickup basketball games that got out of control. Many bullets had rung out after the crowd had gotten too rowdy. She just hoped it didn't happen today. It was her first day out the house since getting her implants turned on, and she hoped she wasn't biting off more than she could chew. Morgan climbed out of her car and, instantly, grew attention from some of the fellas that loitered in the parking lot. Her leather leggings were skin tight, showing off her beautiful figure, and the lace cropped camisole she wore revealed her tone middle. She toned down her sexy with a dusted of red, real Gucci, and graffiti writing. Black, Valentino, block-heeled, combat boots finished her look. She had taken out her braids and her real hair fell to her shoulders in a flawless silk press. She wrestled with the wind as it blew the style all out of place on her way to the door. Niche waited inside, thumbing through her iPhone as Morgan approached. Morgan tapped her on the shoulder. Niche looked up, smiling. Hey, boo. Niche's greeting was genuine. You look good. I started not to meet your ass, Morgan said truthfully. She could barely hear herself in a loud building, so she didn't know how she sounded. She was still getting used to her own voice. A look of shock covered Nisha's face because she had never heard her speak before. I'm so happy for you, Mo. Seriously. No, she's not. The only thing she had over uh, Morgan was the fact that Morgan was deaf, if I recall correctly. So now this is just taking her completely down. Something bad about to happen. I'm so happy for you, Mo. Seriously, this has been such a long time coming for you, Niche said. I didn't realize how much I missed you until I saw you the other night. I didn't even know you were having surgery. I don't want to fight with you, but I really do like Messiah, Mo. Why do I have to choose, Niche said. Choose? According to him, you're nothing to him. According to him, you're nothing to him, Morgan thought. Somebody was lying, and Morgan grew heated thinking of all the things Messiah said to her in the car the other night. So, y'all are together? Morgan asked. I spent every night with him for the past month. Of course, Nish answered. But I don't want you to be mad at me, Mo. I know you liked him, but he approached me, he pursued me, and it was just a crush to you. I didn't think it would be such a big deal, especially not something we fall out over. He's one of ethics workers, and I knew you would never go there. But still, I should have talked to you before I started talking to him. It was fucked up, and I'm sorry. And were you sorry when you left me at the motel that night? They raped me, Niche, Morgan whispered sharply, her face contorted in pain from the memory. She shook her head, as if she could shake the entire episode away. I was high and drunk and so stupid, Mo. I passed out that night, and by the time I came to the next morning, my panties were gone and I was bleeding down there. 
I didn't have anyone to run and tell, so I didn't say anything. And then I heard Lucas was killed. You lying? She whispered. I've been dealing with my own shit from that night, Mo. We haven't talked, so I couldn't tell you, Niche said. Messiah came along at the right time and distracted me. You're not the only one going through stuff, Mo. Morgan's mind was spinning, and the emotion she saw in Nisha's eyes made her more sympathetic. She didn't know whose side of the story to believe. Nisha's version was backed up by months of social media posts and pictures she had taken in Messiah's house and car. The more she thought about it, the angrier she became. Look, can we just go in here and have a good time like we used to? Nisha asked. Morgan felt foolish. She nodded, giving Nisha a half-hearted smile before walking into the temperature. When she saw Messiah on the court, her temperature rose even more. He was shirtless, revealing a large tattoo of praying hands that spanned across every muscle on his back and fused into the sleeve tattoo covering his entire right shoulder and arm. Even his hands were covered in ink. Sweat made his body shine as he worked his opponents on the court, not caring that he was scuffing the retro Jordans that covered his feet. His groupies were out in full effect as the pack gym reacted to the three-point jump shot he had just put up. Morgan and Nish sat on the bottom bleacher closest to the court. When Messiah and his crew were on defense, he came running past them, his eyes falling on Morgan. It was like he picked her out of the crowd instantly, as if his sole purpose was a finder. His eyes burned into hers and she looked away, completely pissed. She avoided looking at the court the entire game. Yo, baby girl, you in my seat. Morgan looked up at the handsome, six-foot, caramel-skinned man that stood in front of her. His Cartier shades, navy, tiger baseball cap with the white D, and gold-linked chains arrested against his fitted, white V-neck, screened Detroit. He had soft eyes with hard features, including three teardrop tattoos on the side of his face. I didn't know there was a signed seating, she shot back as she raised an eyebrow in challenge. She clearly wasn't moving. He licked his lips and grabbed the edges of his cap, making her notice his tattooed forearms. He was her type, if she ever had a type, but she kept her face unaffected, not revealing her intrigue. She glanced back out onto the court, letting him know she wasn't releasing the seat. Messiah was burning a hole through her as he tried to assess the situation to keep his eye on the play. She could practically see the steam rising from him when the man bent down to whisper in her ear. Yo, beautiful, you gonna make me stand or you gonna share the seat? You're more than welcome to sit in my lap and watch the rest of the game, she said. Morgan stood. You can have your seat back, he said. She felt his hands on her waist as he pulled her down on top of him. Her eyes were on Messiah. His eyes were on her as he cut one hand across his neck, letting the other players on the court know the game was over. She tried to stand, but Detroit pulled her back down. Relax, baby girl. I don't bite, he said. She didn't think he did, but she knew Messiah's bite was vicious. She watched Messiah make his way over to the sideline. He slipped the shirt over his head, never taking his eyes off her. She held his stare as well, all the while entertaining Detroit. He want to play games? He could watch him with the next nigga then, she thought, as she smiled in Detroit's face. Messiah passed his duffel off to one of his little soldiers and then walked across the court slapping hands with a few fellas he knew, on his way over to her. Morgan smirked at his cockiness. He didn't rush to intervene. Instead, he sent her warning shots in the form of intense stares. If he made it all the way across the court and she was still seated in the homeboy's lap, it was going to be a problem. 
she knew it, and yet she didn't budge. I'd love to take you out sometime, the guy said. Before she could answer, Messiah stood in front of him, glaring at her. Nish stood and went to hug him, but he snatched his arm away. We got a problem? he asked. The question was intended for Detroit, but he was staring directly at her. Normally, Morgan wouldn't have caused a scene, but she was livid with him. It's whatever, Detroit said as he lifted Morgan from his lap and stood, pulling his shirt up to reveal a pistol to rest it on his hip. Detroit had no bitch in him, but Messiah was a fucking menace. He grabbed Detroit by his neck with one hand and snatched the pistol from Detroit's waist with the other. Messiah, Nish screamed, but he was already on ten. Messiah had Detroit wedged between the bleachers and was pistol whipping him with the man's own gun. Messiah's crew was off the court ready to curl triggers if any other Detroiters felt the need to intervene. Messiah stood, leaving the guy bloodied and looking for his teeth in the stands. Morgan was horrified, but oddly turned on as she watched Messiah pass the burner to one of his goons. He snatched her arm, practically dragging her out the gym. When they were in the hall, he backed her against the wall and cornered a stern finger in her face. I told you, I only know one way to be, Mo, Messiah said. Every nigga that you entertain, I'm using for target practice. You're going to have a lot of mamas out here pulling out black dresses. Why, she asked. She was so mad that she signed us both the words at the same time. Why are you mad, Messiah? You fucking with Nisha anyway. You forgot to mention that you've been spending every night with her for the past few months. What, you want to bag best friends? You want another notch on your belt? Got us out here fighting while you finessing us both. For one, I don't need no more notches on my belt. You big and bad, so I'm going to be straight with you. I'm not starving for pussy. It's a hundred bitches in there that I can play any meeny miny mo with and fuck any time. I told you I don't fuck with your homegirl. She work in the trap, but that bitch is canceled. Morgan rolled her eyes. The trap? You spending nights with her and you want me to believe it's all business? You're a liar, Messiah. I stay all night because I don't trust that bitch with my product, but she got a golden wrist, so I watch her like a hawk. That's the extent of my dealings with her. But you want to let her play mind games with you and get you riled up, Messiah thundered. This is the same bitch that put you on IG when them niggas ran a train on you. That ain't your friend, and today you show me why I can't be your man. I'ma get locked up fucking around with you. He pulled in a deep breath, calming himself because he knew he was going too far. He was starting to say things that were too harsh, things he didn't mean. He closed his eyes and pressed his forehead against hers, trying to stop himself from kissing her. He had just made it known to half the city that he was fucking with her. It was too late to backpedal now. Morgan waited for him to kiss her. She silently begged him to close the space between their lips, but she could see he was struggling. When she saw that he was about to walk away, Morgan threw caution to the wind. She kissed him, making the first move as he wrapped one hand around her throat gently, as he kissed her deeply. She wouldn't be surprised if there was a puddle at her feet. That's how wet he made her. She had kissed boys her age before, but this was a grown-ass man. See? See? The way he commanded her, the way she felt his anger transfer into her, the way he fisted her hair, fucking up her silk press as he fed her his tongue. It was unlike anything she had ever felt before. Issa and the rest of his crew emerged from the gym. 5-0, 
Issa announced. Let Messiah know the police have been called. Messiah pulled away and grabbed her hand as she was rushed out the field house. He spotted her car and tucked her safely inside of it. Go home, he said, closing her driver's side door and patting the roof of her car before she drove off. Messiah rushed to his bike, threw on his helmet and rode off with Issa and his crew. When his built-in Bluetooth rang in his ear, he spoke, answer. The call connected. As he hit 80 miles per hour down the city street, Ethic's voice streamed through his helmet. You never responded to my text. Did you handle that? He asked. Messiah's phone had been in his gym bag all day. He had been balling all day and hadn't checked his messages yet. Nah, big homie, I've been a bursting. What's good? You need me, just say the word, he said. Nah, it's alright. I can handle it, Ethic replied. I need to pull up on you about something tomorrow, Messiah said. Come by the house in the morning, Ethic instructed. Bet, Messiah finished. He knew a conversation about Morgan was long overdue. He wasn't with the sneaking around, and if he was going to be running up on niggas in the street over her, she had to be his to defend. It was time for him to sit down with Ethic and lay out his cards like a man. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.